Good morning. Hey, I want to um, I want to clear up. I don't need to clear it up, but um, last week when we talked about if you're if you're seeking to get something from worship, you're probably not going to get it. But if you seek first God and His holiness and His glory, then He showers things upon you. But one of the one of the illustrations I used, or one of the ways of thinking about it, was what worries you. And I know that that. Worry and anxiety are two very different things. Um, they feel a lot alike, but they're different things. And anxiety has been a constant companion of mine since I was about 12 years old. So for those of you, if, if, if you felt like we're like, just stop doing that, that's not, that's not what I was saying. Here's what I was saying, just to make sure that we're all on the same page. Jesus says in Matthew, and why do you worry about clothes and the lilies of the, and, and uh, see how the lilies of the field grow. And do you not la- they do not labor and spin. Yet I, I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, uh, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not worry, saying, what shall I eat or what shall I drink? What shall I wear? For the pagans go on and on about such things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom, the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. That's the anxiety thing. That's the, there's a difference between a low-level fear with no clear threat and deciding that we are actually in control. If we, just, if we just think about it more, we can change what happens tomorrow. So if you're someone who struggles with anxiety, so do I. Um, and I just want you to know that what we said last week was not talking about that, that, that chemical imbalance, but rather what occupies our minds on purpose. And that is what God is calling us not to do. He's saying, trust me, don't trust yourself to figure it all out. Now, with that said, um, today we're talking about how the how of worship. And we're going to do a few things differently this morning. First of all, we have some technological issues. It's been a very stressful morning this morning around here, maybe not to all of you, but to all of this. And um, so we're going to do a few things differently. Immediately following the message, you'll see something a little bit different. And we're doing that on purpose. We're doing that today. It's It's not like how we're going to do it forever. It's just a way of saying, giving you and I and us an opportunity to say, okay, Lord, it's about you. And if it's about you, it's not about what I, what I get and what, 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 I, what I like most, the most, you know, the genre of music or whatever it might be. It's about who you are and us bringing that to you. So when we talk about the how of worship, a lot of times we start thinking liturgy, like, are we going to do this? There's an approach to God. There's, you know, we say hi, God says hi back, all that kind of, all that kind of thing, the old Zwinglian liturgy. But scripturally speaking, that is not the how. The how is the heart. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I've got a couple of stories. I've got way more scripture. Um, I've got way more information to share with you than I have time for. So I'm going to do my best not to talk too fast and not to sit you down for two and a half hours here, okay? Because I've got to get over to the next door to the other service. Let's pray together. Lord, to be in right relationship with you means that we also need to be in right relationship with one another. So, Lord, as we sit here preparing to hear your word and then respond to you in song, we ask you to show us something in our lives. If there's a person, if there's a grudge, if there's a, 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 some kind of harm that's come to us that we can't let go, we ask that you show us what that is and give us an opportunity to confess it to you and receive your forgiveness so that as you speak to us, 
You speak to us, and we have clear eyes and clean hearts. Stand in my shoes. Speak with my mouth. Tell us only what you want us to hear. Show us only what you want us to see. And give us only what you want us to have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, John chapter 4, very familiar story, the woman at the well. Jesus had to go up to Samaria. It was a God, a father-ordained appointment for him. He, no Jew has to go through Samaria. They, in fact, they would always work their way around. Better roads, plus the interaction between uh, Jews and Samaritans was not, was, not, was not a good one. So, Jesus finds himself at a well, and the only woman there, there's one woman there, and she's there, and they engage in this conversation. There's a lot of talk about living water. There's a lot of talk about, um, yes, you're right, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. But this is what Jesus says when he's telling her who he is. He says this, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. A couple of things there that we can just walk right by. Number one, God is seeking worshipers. God is seeking. And if you look at the, the, the whole of creation, the whole story of God interacting with his people, you can, you can really boil it down to one, to, to one statement. I will be your God. You will be my people. That's the covenant. That's every covenant renewal. It's even why Jesus came. So, but, it, but notice that Jesus, he came to us. He didn't ask us to attain divinity and get to him. So God is the one who seeks. We know this when we, when we sing songs and we say, we quote the scripture that says, it's not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us. So God is the one who ordains this. God is the one who starts this. God is the one who pursues. God is the one who seeks. And then he tells us in response, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be, will be showered onto us. But we have to first realize that if God's the one coming to us, we have to respond to God on his terms. Spirit, and truth. So what does spirit and truth mean? Well, I'll let the scripture interpret the scripture itself. From Psalm chapter 24, it says, Psalm 24, 3, 3 and 4, it says, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. People of noble character, and people who know who their God is. Clean hands, pure heart. How are we doing? No accusation in this whatsoever. I just know that, that here this morning, in preparation for worship, there's been some frustration, some anger, some disappointment. So it is hard when you're angry or disappointed or frustrated with other people, with yourself, with how the week went, with how your life is going, it is hard to come, maybe not with clean hands, but with a pure heart. So what is it? How is it? How do we get to back to a pure heart? Clean hands are behave in a moral, good, and righteous way. But pure heart, there's only one way. 
And that is when we recognize that our heart is not pure, when we feel a little dirty, when there's a bit of shame in our lives because of what we've done or because of how we've responded to what someone else has done, because of what we worry about, because of what we're concerned about, because of what occupies most of our time, most of our mind, the stinking thinking that can go on in our heads. The only, the only way to make that go away so that we're right, we have a pure heart before God, is simple. Confess it, repent of it, seek forgiveness, and receive it. And the beauty of God, the be- what, what he promises us is gone are your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. As far as the east is from the west, so I will separate your iniquity from you. God is gracious always when we recognize that we are not behaving or thinking or believing like we belong to him, when we recognize that, he wants us to bring that to him. And confession is telling God what he already knows. We're not, we're not, we're not shocking God when we come to him. So if I want a pure heart, there's only one that can make my heart pure, and that is God. Behaviors can change, or morals and law and, fr- and, 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 and rules can change my behavior. But the only thing that can change a human heart is the forgiveness that comes from the God of the universe through the person of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice to forgive us for our sin. And it's the acknowledgement that we have sin. That's the first step toward a pure heart is to come to him and say, Lord, right now I'm frustrated. I don't want to do this. Or to come to him and say, I'm disappointed, Lord. Why can't you do it better? Now, that sounds sputtin. But read the Psalms. And you'll see David time and time again shaking his fist at God, asking him why the wicked prosper. And he, who's trying to be righteous, seems to be punished for it. How his enemies are coming to get him. The next next passage, Isaiah chapter 66, says this. Has not my hand, this is God speaking, has not my hand made all things? And so they came into being declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That that tremble at his word goes back to the thing we said a couple of weeks ago. We've lost a bit of the fear of the Lord. I love the fact that that Jesus called us brother. I love the fact that he would walk and talk with us. I love the fact that he spent three years talking and walking and knowing and loving people. And we can approach him with boldness. But there's a peace in our lives at times where we behave as if God works for us. Where we want him to celebrate what we want for ourselves instead of recognizing that he's God. He made all things. And the fact that he wants to, if if God showed up right now, and passed by this stage, any one of us that would stand up and go, yep, he's here for me, bring it up. None of us has an attitude like that. No one sees the stars in the sky at night and goes, I'm amazing. There's something to God being holy that should humble us. And the scriptures tell us to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's the how of worship, to come with a contrite, contrite spirit just means asking for forgiveness, realizing that we've done wrong, and, and just, Lord, I need your help. Instead of, Lord, I'm here to help you. And no one would say that out loud, 
But sometimes, sometimes our, our attitudes, our hearts are set on the stuff of earth and not the things of God. So in spirit, it's humility, honoring God, knowing that God is God and we're not. Well, what about truth? Well, it says us, this in Psalm chapter one, or Psalm 40, 145, chapter 17 through 21, or verses 17 through 21. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise to the Lord, praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Why that qualifier? The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. What's the qualifier in truth? What is that? His terms. On his terms. Remember the stories when Jesus tells the, 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 the parable of the banquet when, when he invites a bunch of people and they, 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 they all make, when the day comes, they all, make, they all make excuses and then other people come, but they don't come dressed right. That just seems kind of like, why can't, what is the dress? The, the story is saying that if you want to be in relationship with God, because God is God and we are not, and he sets the terms of that relationship. So what God says is true, we decide to accept as true, whether we want it to be true or not. To come to him in truth means I trust you, God, to tell me how life is supposed to be. And that if he says I'm a sinner, which we don't like to talk about in our world anymore, but if he says I'm a sinner, then a sinner I am. But if he says I'm a saint because of his redemption, then a saint I am. And if I am a saint, shouldn't my behavior be aligned with what a saint would do? See, I have to come to God on his terms. That means in worship services. It also means in personal worship and personal devotion. Yes, we can bring our worries, our concerns. To, he says that. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavily laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. But we have to bring it to him instead of ask him to come and fix things we've messed up. Wouldn't it be better if we're approaching him before we ever make those decisions? Instead of asking him to save us when we mess it up, wouldn't it be better if day to day, moment by moment, second by second, if we're seeking God and saying, Lord, what would you have me do here? What would be the decision you would want me to make? So that we're, we're seeking him first, not after. Psalm 86, 11 says this, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And I will walk in your truth. Teach me, Lord, what your truth is, and I will put it into practice. That's the how of worship, coming humble. The alternative, folks, we don't want it. To humble yourself in God's sight is way better than him having to humble you. And to come to him on his terms not require of him to come to me on mine. He's already come to you on your terms. 
Because while we were yet sinners, he came. Quick story. You ever hear of uh, Bob Green, author, he used to be a, a, a reporter with the Chicago Tribune? We wrote a book years, years ago. This is, I think, in the 80s. Good Morning, Merry Sunshine. That sounds like, hey, happy, happy. And it is. But his, he, he had a daughter, and he, this, this book is recording the first year of her life. And when little Amanda began crawling, this is what he records, Bob Green. This is something I'm having trouble getting used to. I will be in bed reading a book or watching TV, and I will look, look down to the foot of the bed, and there will be Amanda's head staring back at me. Apparently, I've become one of the objects that fascinates her. So strange. After months of having to go to her, now she is choosing to come to me. I don't know quite how, how to react. All I can figure is that she likes the idea of coming in and looking at me. She doesn't expect anything in return. I'll return her gaze for a few moments, and she'll decide she wants to be back in the living room, and off she'll crawl again. But that simple being in the presence of daddy... Approaching daddy, even though daddy wasn't necessarily asking her to come, and she's just fascinated. That's worship. God has been coming to us for all of human history, and now we have the opportunity to just come to him. It's symbiotic. It's not that we come to him, and he gets a bunch of stuff, and we come up losing it's we come to him to give him our best. And in return, he gives us peace and joy and hope, the ability to persevere when all things look hopeless. He gives us the gift of faith, which is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. Another way of approaching God is with thanksgiving. If you want a miserable life, I'm going to tell you right now how to, how to be miserable. Be ungrateful. I promise you, if you're an offense collector or if you're just always seeing where you're lacking, your life will be miserable. If you're always looking in at what you do not have, you will be the most miserable person on the planet. The Maasai tribe in Africa, they have an unusual way of saying thank you. Translators tell us that the Maasai, when the Maasai expresses thanks, they bow their head, put their forehead on the ground, and they simply say, my head is in the dirt. And another tribe in Africa, they, they, they express gratitude this way. They sit in front of the hut or the home of the person whose debt they're in, someone who did them a favor, and they just simply, literally, continually say, I sit on the ground before you. How's your heart? Is it contrite? Is it humble? And is it grateful? There is much to be grateful for, even when life is hard, especially when life is hard, because life is hard for all. But you have the God of the universe who promises you, you're going to have food, you're going to have clothes, but seek me first. That's how those things get added to you. Psalm 100, you know this, you know this psalm, it says this, shall for joy to the Lord all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful things. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And here, this is key. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. 
Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And we, there are song, there's song after song after song that, is, that, that, that put melody to the lyric of this psalm. But I want to tell you one thing you may or may not know. This, this enter his courts with thanksgiving, his, his, uh, his, or his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. In the Hebrew language, it's a simple it's hard to understand. It's hard to read because you read backwards in funny letters, but, but there's very few prepositions. And so those prepositions can mean many things all at once. So in, of, with, they, one word can mean all of those things. So I want you to see that one way to translate this, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, is via. That would be the Latin. So how did you get from Michigan to Florida? Via an airplane, right? You, you, by way of. So you enter his courts by way of thanksgiving, by way of praise. It's kind of like your ticket to admission or your admission ticket. It's, it's, the, it's how you get into the throne room of God. Confession, humility, thanksgiving. Isn't that glorious? It doesn't sound like it all the time. But if I just go, oh, Lord, I'm yours. And the beautiful thing about I'm yours, Lord, is that he's, he's mine. But it's not first that he works for me. It's first he's the one who made everything. He's the one who seeks. He's the one who pursues. And so I come to him in his, in his house on his terms. Humble, contrite, and thankful. I know it's very unusual for me to have notes. One last thing and some closing comments. This is from G.C. Morgan. He says this, God seeks and values the gifts we bring to him. Gifts of praise, of thanksgiving, of serving one another, and material offerings. In all such giving at the altar, we enter into the highest experiences of fellowship. But the gift is accessible, acceptable to God in the measure to which the one who offers it is in fellowship with him in character and conduct. And the test of this is in our relationships with one another. We are thus charged to postpone giving to God until right relationships are established with others. Could the neglect of this idea that we need to be in right relationship with others to be in right relationship with God be a reason for our sense of barrenness in our relationship with God or our difficulty in approaching God in worship. And if you think that that's not scriptural, that it, it, it matters here in order to be here, Jesus himself says, when you come to the altar to offer your gift and there remember that your brother has something against you, not that you have something against your brother, but your brother has something against you, leave your gift, first go be reconciled with your brother and then return and make your gift. The gift is the same. The terms are different. How do you worship? You come to God on his terms. You're humble. You're gracious. You're confessing. You're thankful. And as far as it depends on you, you've made it right with other people. But keep in mind Coming to God on his terms means all of his terms.
Not just the ones we want, but all of them. What does he say we should be doing with our riches, with our stuff, with our bank accounts, with our checkbooks, with our wallets, whatever word you want to put on it, with your stocks? Nah. Doesn't look real good right now, does it? I'm eating cat food in retirement one day. Should I really worry about that? Or does God promise he's got it? What are you doing to worship God with your money? What are you doing to worship God with your marriage? What are you doing to worship God with your children and your grandchildren, with your neighbor, with the person you like the least on the planet? How are you worshiping God in those relationships? I will remind you of one last thing. The Ten Commandments, it's a cross. First three are about your relationship with God. The next one, the transition one, is about your relationship with yourself, really. It's about creation. But it's are you going to behave like the whole world depends on you? Or are you going to trust me and rest? Like give creation a break from you and take a break from it. You don't need to be out there running around all the time. You can just go, it's okay to be good for nothing for a day. And then all the rest from number five, Five starts with honoring your father and your mother, and it just goes right on through. It's how we relate to one another. So from the beginning, when God gave his law, he said, love God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. One way to love God, the primary way we know we're loving God, is by how we're behaving with the things that we want to hang on to. Some of those are grudges. Some of that is money. Some of that is ego. Some of that is success. Are we letting God dictate the terms? Are we dictating to God what our terms are? The how of worship is spirit, that's humility, and truth. God sets the terms. So let's pray and then worship God in song, but in a little different way. Let's pray together. We love you, Lord. We lift our voice to honor you, to worship you, to tell you who you are. We call out your holy name because you and you alone are holy. We come to you with thanksgiving, thanking you for all that you've done for us, all that you've done in us, and all that you do through us. We praise and glorify your name. We delight in you, Lord, and we ask you to place new desires on our heart. In the name of Jesus, through the power of the Spirit that lives within us, for the glory of God our Father, we pray. Amen.